One of the ways we see him at work, of course, he's always going to attack God's word, but he's also going to exploit us. He's going to exploit our natural tendencies. Mm-hmm. So in the church, for instance, we can feel like, you know, secular people with these secular mindsets, they're attacking us. And so therefore, we're going to attack them back. Hello, this is Pastor John. And this is Pastor Tim. And this is the podcast, also known as the Every Moment His Podcast. That's right. Yes. That's right. Broadcasting from Kearney, Nebraska. Yep. Almost the epicenter of the United States. The geographical center, for sure. Just about. Yeah. Got to go a couple miles west. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So today we are kind of wrapping up our sermon series on temptation We've talked about the world, the flesh, and uh, now in the sermon today, uh, uh, the devil. Yeah, so the deceiver, he goes by a number of names. That Jesus, ancient yeah. dragon, yeah. right? Um, the deceiver. The, the Satan, the, the accuser of the brethren, um, the devil. D- Diablo, um, right? The word Diablo means two-tongued. Yeah, so... Lots of different names. Um, the the adversary. The too, adversary in the too. The Old Testament, especially. Yes. And well, and so our title here is a little bit provocative to get you to click on it and listen. Uh, what has Satan been doing in your life lately? And we ask that question because it is without doubt true that if God is working in your life, then Satan is inevitably working in your life too. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that whenever the word of God takes root in us, there's always going to be accusation and persecution and struggle and turmoil and temptation as the enemy seeks to kill that word yeah. in you. So that sounds kind of serious. Yeah, it is. And, and that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Um, you know, as we begin, uh, how about you read the text? We heard this in church today. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, but Paul's kind of laying it out to us. Um, I mean, in the first, I, I kind of see Ephesians in three parts. In the first three chapters, Paul says, here's what God has done for you. In the chapters 4, 5, and part of 6, Paul says, here's how you walk in the reality of what God has done for you. And then in the end, he says, now stand firm. Yeah. And so you want to read that for us? Yeah, before we get there, do you, you want to oh, hear yes, my joke? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, breach of uh, etiquette here. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, just before we talk about this super serious uh, issue, I think we should all take a deep breath, get ready for a tasty dad joke. Okay, here it comes. Right. What do you call a Canadian dad who falls through the ice? Eh? I don't know. A popsicle, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There you go. Okay. Okay, that was ready. So back to business. <laughs> Ephesians ten. Ephesians chapter six, ten through twenty. Yep. Ephesians chapter six, verse ten, the whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, so we want to talk really about kind of two things um, today. First is an awareness of the battle. And then second is the armor that God has given us in holy baptism to wear. And, you know, as you read that, and as I think about the awareness that we're called to, I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Dear listener, if you are listening, pause this podcast and go and purchase that book or write it down, make plans to get that book, The Screwtape Letters, um, because it's a wonderful book. It's a fictional book, but it's about um, a junior and a senior, senior tempter in you know, Satan's kingdom here. Uh, and he uh, is writing back and forth, you know, talking about strategy to tempt. And, and it's incredibly timely and relevant for our day. Um, the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And in the introduction to that book, Lewis says that the enemy does his best work by either convincing us of his uh, non-existence or giving us an over-interest in his existence. And so, for example, mm -hmm. you have the modern secular person who thinks that everything has sort of a material natural cause. Um, and we see little pictures of a little guy in red tights with a pitchfork and horns. And we think, oh, that's just kind of funny and cute. You can't be serious. You know, it's kind of a caricature yeah. and nothing really close to reality. And so modern people will not really take evil seriously. And yet the modern secular world really has no clear answer for why evil exists or what evil even is or what its origin is. And anytime the secular world tries to explain evil, they do at the injury of human existence. So, hmm. so that's things like murder and rape and, and you know, destructive genocide. anger, genocide. Yeah. It's something in our genes. It's yeah. just something that, you know, human beings are innately selfish and competitive and will naturally just kill each other. Um, yeah. That's, an, that's interesting because, yeah, we, the secular world is forced to say something like that. It's a mm -hmm. naturalistic tendency. It's survival of the fittest even. Yeah. And then you're really left with this sense that, like, man, is there any hope out there? Yeah, can we even say there's such a thing as evil? Yeah. And yet the modern secular world is very moral, you know, crying out against injustice and whatnot. But they have really no basis on which they can say that certain things are wrong, evil or not evil. 
and even where evil comes from. Yeah, or they'll blame wider society, right? We're just socialized in this bad way. But then we got to go back to root causes, mm -hmm. like, well, why are we socialized in this bad environment? And so, uh, but then we have this over-interest, and I think there can be a over-interest in the demonic that is, you know, horror movies and The Exorcist and sort of these spiritual things kind like of a cult, a cult, you know, Wicca, uh, the kind of, kind of astrology. Maybe yeah. Astrology, all those things where it's like spirituality. That's not the father, son and Holy spirit. Yeah. And then even you have a Christian over interest where like, if you like, don't get the right parking spot at Walmart, you're blaming it on <laughs> Satan. You're like, you know, rebuke yeah. the devil because you know, like I stubbed my toe or something and, you know, kind of like seeing Satan and everything. And so we want to avoid those extremes. We want to have a really sober, reasonable awareness of the battle. Okay. So as we're thinking about that, we're, you know, the struggle is real. There is a real spiritual threat out there. Yeah. Like um, a personal evil. Yeah. I want to be careful to, to say this. Uh, sometimes we think of God and the devil as counterparts like dualistic like yeah. they're just kind of like like just competing with each other yeah they're like two sides of the same coin maybe or yeah they're on equal footing and like the yin and yang right and of course they're not right the devil is an angel so he's a created being who fell spiritual being yeah, yeah he's a spiritual being who rebelled against god uh he's not all-knowing he's not omniscient He's wise because he's stinking old and he's crafty, uh, but he, he doesn't have like the supernatural ability, uh, supernatural ability that God does or Jesus does. And he is, um, he's able to be crushed, right? So they're not anywhere on the near on the same footing. Right. And even, you know, like Luther was fond of saying that, that the devil is even God's devil. Right. And what he means is that like, God even uses his raging and his tyrannical oppression and all the ruin and misery that he sows. He uses it to even for the good ends of God's people. And, you know, I think even the cross of Christ is an example of how mm. Satan put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, right, to betray our Lord. And then that was actually the devil's undoing. Right. Yeah. One, uh, one thing I like to point out to really illustrate this little point is I ask people, like, who's, who's running hell? Right? Have you heard that stupid joke? It's like, if you're here, who's running hell? You know, <laughs> kind of rude. But um, who's running hell? A lot of people think, well, that's the devil. The devil is the king of hell. He kind of checks you in. And yeah. Like, you know, he so pokes you with yeah. these forks and yeah. stuff. And actually, no, the hell is God's domain. Right? This is his domain. And it says in Matthew 25 that it was created, uh, the fire was created for the devil and his angels. Yeah, right. So that's just a, a clarifying thought. It's like the devil is imprisoned, right? He is not running any show. God, God has allowed him to walk around in this creation, but his days are numbered. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, good. Um, so one, one more thing, and then we'll talk a little bit more. But I think a helpful illustration is, you know, we lived in Thunder Bay. It was pretty far north. And um, in a park near our house that we would often go to, uh, 
I, there was a, a stream and a wooded area. And a lot of times in that wooded area, uh, some creatures would end up living. So one time there was a bear <laughs> that ended up living in this woods, like right across from this kid's park. And another time there was a wolf, a lone wolf that was taking up residence there. And so when people heard this, of course, it circulated like wildfire through the neighborhoods. And what do you think people did? They went out and bought pepper spray. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah, everyone got dog spray all of a sudden. Yep. Um, and do you think moms let their six-year-olds go to the park across the street even without them? Probably not unattended, yeah. No. Yeah. So, yeah, so everyone was on high alert. Everyone was looking, you know, watching for a wolf keeping an eye on, on their little ones and even avoiding the park if they had to, you know, if they were really worried about it. But they were all aware there's a danger. And I think this is the kind of thing, attitude we're called to. If we know, you know, St. Peter says the devil's like a, a roaring lion. He's Seeking prowling whom around, he may devour, yeah, yeah. looking for yeah. a meal. And so if that's the case, how should we think about it? How should we live? So vigilance. Yeah, it's a great word. Not paranoia, mm -hmm. but vigilance. And, you know, I often think that people, you know, if people recognize that there is a real personal evil out there, you know, the devil and his angels, that oftentimes they think that it is the extreme of like demon possession or mm -hmm. the extreme of like the exorcist or kind of paranoia, kind of, uh, paranormal. Mm -hmm. kind of activity and and while that is certainly true and and um in talking to other christians i know christians who've experienced those things and especially missionaries who are living in an area where just about everybody believes in the devil you know there's kind of a more visible manifest activity but but for us as kind of western americans there i think that this work is done in the arena of deceit and lies and just a lot of the kind of thought patterns and the isms and movements that kind of roll through history and do their destruction. Um, that's kind of where I think a lot of this is at. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, like people speaking in a crazy grotesque voice and, you know, <laughs> like doing foaming at the mouth. Right. Cra crawling out of TV sets and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, which makes for movies. But um, no, it's really this realm of, of the thoughts that are dominating our current age. Mm. Uh, currently, I'm listening to a book on Audible by uh, Carl Truman. He's a Presbyterian uh, minister and a professor of history. And the book is called The Rise of the Modern Self. Uh, um, expressive individualism and like the rise of the sexual revolution. It's mm. kind of a long title, but, but really fascinating. He's talking about how do we get to where we are today? And that is really through, it starts with these thinkers like Karl Marx, Friedrich Nietzsche, um, you know, of course, Freud, and then uh, Charles Darwin, and just all these you know, these kind of isms, they just kind of begin to snowball and they take on life. They start at the university and they trickle down into popular culture, into art, into music, into media. 
into literature and then they become kind of the thing that people believe without even thinking about it. And, and so you have people who've never read a line of Friedrich Nietzsche, but they live it out. Or they've mm -hmm. never read a line of Sigmund Freud, but they live it out. Yeah, so it, the ideas are, are so pervasive that we almost can't see them. Exactly, we, kind of we swim built, in them. Yeah. We, just, we just kind of, it's the, the air we breathe. And so like for example, with like Sigmund Freud, you've got this idea that everything is hypersexualized and that like our true core identity is our sexuality. And, and so everything is kind of wagered against that and that society suppresses our sexual instincts and, and, and that really, well, I think that just, just tells us more about Freud than it tells us <laughs> about, you know, like human beings. Or you got Karl Marx and just talking about this class struggle, and then you've got um, you've got Friedrich Nietzsche saying there's absolutely no truth. Truth is whoever is the strongest. Yeah, and that kind of just gets into our bloodstream in ways we're not even aware of, and so we have to be vigilant in our thinking and our what we're giving our attention to. Yeah, and even you know uh, Darwinism, I think one is is the most one of the most powerful ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the big problems I've come across with Darwinism, first of all, most people don't live completely as if these are true. Right. They like don't they, go all the way. Yeah. Because yeah. if they did, they would just implode because, um, but they live if, as if it's partially true at least. But in Darwinism, you know, death is the vehicle that propels progress, right? It's survival of the fittest. Competition. Yeah. Natural and selection. The yeah. triumph of, of the of the strong over the weak. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a idea, you know, I think this was fueling some of the genocidal uh, things that happened in the 20th centuries, this idea of we need to cull down the, the herd and get yeah. these genetic inferior people, diseased people out of the genetic pool. Something like eugenics where, yeah. where you have this I idea. That's kind of where Planned Parenthood kind of started out a little yeah, bit too. That's right. Is this uh, Margaret Sanger and the yeah. eugenics and we got to have the fit people breeding and not the unfit people or undesirable people. And uh, Yeah, so I yeah. think that's, you know, that thought is deeply, it messes with our ethics. It yeah, messes it does. with our compass because mm -hmm. then sometimes we're not so sure if, um, people should live if they're not productive members of society or if right. they're not wanted. Or if they're not economically beneficial. Viable, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and, uh, and, 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 and it, with all these thinkers, they've profoundly shaped Western society, and not all of them are completely wrong. I mean, there mm -hmm. are some ideas that come out that are valid, and, and even in the realm of biology and science, you know, there's some valid things that I think Darwin took note of but then it becomes the story of everything. Right. And that's where it gets dangerous is where it's, uh, so Tim Keller talks about this, I think is the evolution as an explanation for everything. Yes. And so everything gets kind of leveled by, um, you know, this theory of evolution that everything is just leveled by that. So survival of the fittest is the creed by which everything. Right. Yeah. And nobody actually truly lives that way. But then you have people who kind of like do the thought experiment at the university level. <laughs> yeah, so kind of, yeah, right. So kind of back to um, 
well, how is Satan kind of working in our world? Mm-hmm. And if I'm hearing you right, you're saying, you know, these lies, when they become ultimate, or when, when there's some truth mixed with lies, and they're coming at us so fast, they're in our culture, built, our society is kind of built on a lot of these things. Yeah. And when we're uh, not aware of them, this we, is kind of cosmic. And they even darkness. become the lens by which we look at Holy Scripture. Yes. And so we begin to even judge our faith and even think about Jesus and the church differently through the lenses of, of these isms and thought patterns that roll through history. And so we really just need to be wise and, and thoughtful and careful thinking. And it's hard. It's an upward battle because, you know, one of the kind of diseases of our times is that nobody really wants to do careful thinking. Mm. We just want to feel We just want to hear something that sounds plausible and run with it. But we don't want to like critique the bigger cultural assumptions we live in. And so all that is to say is that there really is evil at work in really the the battles for our minds. Um, You know, as we think about, well, a couple things here. One, I think this helps us recognize that the real enemy that we face is those dark powers and not people. Yeah. And this is extremely useful as a mindset, you Mm -hmm. know, because you can begin to think something like, yeah, I'm a Christian and therefore those people who don't think like me are my enemies. Right. Uh, Jesus, of course, has something to say about that. That you should love love your enemies. enemies. Yeah. And be like your heavenly father who uh, gives rain to both the wicked and the righteous. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, this really pairs in nicely. It's like, yeah, if, if it is the case that there's many people loved by God, but they're kind of under the spell, we could say. They're yeah. under the, the gripping influence. Sort of a victim or yeah. perhaps even a tool. They're caught. They're yeah. stuck, yeah. And maybe convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means, okay, they're not my enemies, even though they might harm me. They might cause me pain. They might deride me and, and yeah. yeah, but we can have some compassion for people because if we read the book of Ephesians back in chapter two, you know, Paul says that we were all trapped in this cycle. Every single human being apart from Christ has been trapped in this cycle. And so before baptism, before trust in Christ as our savior, we were all caught up. We were all victims of, of falsehood living in utter darkness and but look at the mercy of god that reached down and woke us up and gave us life that means that we ought to have all kinds of compassion we're not dealing with people as the problem we're dealing with people who are really victims of of falsehood yeah and and so man just lots of compassion so that's why we don't shout people down and you know that's why we we listen carefully. That's why we're we're very pro people. <laughs> yeah, pro. I like that pro people. Anti Satan pro people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think you know as we're interacting. So one of the things I I've thought about Satan in particular is he doesn't create anything new, right? He just distorts and corrupts. Yeah. He actually can't create anything. He can only corrupt the good things God's yeah. given. Yeah. And so I think one of the ways we see him at work, of course, he's always going to attack God's word. Yeah. Um, but he's also going to exploit us. He's going to exploit our natural tendencies. Mm-hmm. So in the church, for instance, 
um, we can feel like, um, you know, these, you know, secular people with these secular mindsets, they're attacking us. And so therefore we're going to attack them back. Right. We're going to have a, a throw down argument where yeah. we're going to own them. own somebody yeah. with truth or, yeah, you know. And so the, the target is not to help those people or to be compassionate, but it's to be proven right to be prideful right and yeah. that actually is the devil's dealing <laughs> yeah and so yeah. who wins right uh, yeah. jesus who's like hey guys you should love your enemies you should pray for them uh you should turn the other cheek um that's not who wins in that scenario it's it's satan who says yeah good now the christians are also in conflict they're also mm -hmm. disturbed and they're making the name of christ you know look bad mm. so um we want to talk about the armor now and what's interesting about this armor is that it's basically the standard uniform for the Roman foot soldier. And, and it's interesting, some commentators have, have suspected that perhaps as Paul was writing this in prison, perhaps in Caesarea, he's in, he's in prison, writing to the saints at Ephesus. And he may have been either chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest, or, or he may have actually had a Roman soldier in view. All or, the time. Or just all the time. And he was, became familiar with the different uh, weapons, defensive weapons they had in their, their armor. And, and so he gives us like this kind of like picture of authority. Um, but a couple of things we need to note here with the armor is that, you know, we have no strength on our own. I mean, our righteousness is paper thin mm -hmm. our salvation is paper thin everything that we would clad ourselves with is paper thin when paul's telling us to put on the armor of god he's actually telling us to put on the lord jesus christ which he quotes yeah. in ephesians 4 i think mm. he says put off the old man and put That's on right. christ right yeah. and it's the same word it's actually common language in corinthians too right mm -hmm. this put on put, put off on language, christ yeah. and so, yeah all of these pieces of armor are all christ yeah. So, I mean, yeah, how are you going to deal with a satanic invisible foe, right? You're going to put on Christ. Who can deal, you know, like Luther says in his great sermon on Mighty Fortress, it's like on earth, he has no equal, right? Yeah. This bully. It's going to mess you up. Yeah. Apart from so, Christ. Right. It's He's only smarter than you. He even knows the Bible better than you. <laughs> Bing. So, yeah. what are you going to do, right? You're going to put on Put on Christ. Christ. And so what this looks like is, you know, all these words that Paul's using, these, these like the belt of truth, the gospel shoes of peace, or the um, breastplate of righteousness, or the shield of faith, those are all actually all words that he's using in Ephesians, or he's using in his theology. So, you know, when he talks about the belt of truth, you know, he talks about the truth that you have been taught the truth, which is in Jesus. He says that in Ephesians. Hmm. Or when he talks about the gospel shoes of peace, he talks about how God made peace yeah, right. through... He is our peace. He, he himself yeah. is our peace yeah. who's made us both one, God and man, and then brothers and sisters in Christ. When he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, I mean, that's a key Paul theme is that we have been made righteous, not through our works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. When he's talking about the helmet of salvation, that word salvation is from the same root word of saved, Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you have been saved mm. through faith, mm. by grace you have salvation. Mm. 
And then when he talks about the shield of faith, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And then uh, finally, when he talks about the word of God, the living and active word of God, I mean, uh, that's a key Paul theme is that um, in, in Ephesians 5, he he saved us through the washing of water with the word. That's right, yeah. And so all these things that Paul's saying, he's basically saying, stand firm in what God has already done in you. Because Satan is always going to want to question and attack what God has done in you. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that language comes up a lot too, is to stand, right? To stand firm, do all you can, and then stand and... Uh, not retreat, hang in there, right? Stand firm. And I think that is uh, a, a core idea here too, that how are we going to do that? Um, how are you going to make sure that your family's healthy, your relationships are healthy? Well, you're going to stand in these things and not let the corrupting influence, the fiery darts mm-hmm. of Satan get to you, right? Take, and other places he'll say, uh, St. Paul says, you know, take every thought captive to Christ. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, that picture of the Christian is not one of um, relaxation necessarily, but one of readiness. Yeah. You can't be a lazy Christian. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I want to be a lazy Christian. Boy, if I, and I've had this thought lately that in the 21st century right now, in the time we live in, lazy Christians will get eaten alive or at the very least will be extremely ineffective in their faith. Mm. And Jesus saved us for better things than that. And so we just, we want to be on guard. We don't want to be paranoid. We don't want to be hysteric. We want to be sober. And, and that means that we're rooted and grounded in worship, in God's word, that his word is dictating our thoughts, that we're taking every thought captive. We're, we're steadfast in prayer. We're not isolated, but we're in community with people. Um, that we have accountability because we have an enemy that doesn't take a day off, you know? Yeah. And he knows your nature. He knows how to exploit you. Yeah. And so if you're not uh, putting on that armor, you're going to be vulnerable. Yeah. And really, and so the time to take up arms <laughs> and stand your ground is now. And, and because, you know, one of the things that I, it's kind of sobering is I, when I look at the church of the 21st century American, you know, where we're at, I feel like the enemy's already infiltrated the ranks. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is that he's already sown confusion about what the truth is. He's Mm -hmm. already created complacency. He's already created division. He's already created doctrinal confusion. He's already created an entertain me mindset. And if I'm not entertained, then I'll sleep in, you know? Right. And, and so, and so we have, in a way we kind of have ground to recover always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yet, we can also rejoice because the battle's won. And that, by the way, is why Paul says to stand your ground, uh, because the battle has been won in Christ. Okay, so it's not up to me. It's not up to me. I don't have to go charge the gates of hell. No, you just stand the ground that Jesus yeah. has won for you. It's, and I think an analogy that I have in my mind is, is if you have a Super Bowl game in which the one team has just triumphed gloriously, I'm going to give you a hard time here, <laughs> like the Seahawks just completely crushed the Denver Broncos uh, years ago 2014 2014 13 2013 maybe. and that was it was tw- 2014 yeah. painful painful yeah, it's bad but you know in those super bowl scenarios there's like 20 seconds left on the clock and everybody knows who won the game and so how did the players play yeah. they, they 
they're gonna they're gonna they're confident. Yeah. Even the fans start to take the field and they they toss the Gatorade on the coach, right? Right. I mean, that's the kind of battle that we're in. We're in a battle that's been won, but we still need to be vigilant. Because, like, if there's 20 seconds left on the <laughs> clock, you're not going to just hand the ball to the other team and go right. sit down. <laughs> um, and uh, So we, we kind of take victory formation, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spike yeah. the ball a few times. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I guess just kind of a, a closing thought is um, Paul kind of ends on this theme of prayer. And I kind of think of this in three directions, you know. Paul's saying, uh, you know, pray, just be steadfast in prayer. You know, we want to pray for ourselves, our families, right? Mm. Um, and we want to pray more for just being happy, healthy, and having enough food on the table. Those are good, but we want to pray for spiritual protection. Mm. We want to pray for the saints, right? So pray for each other. Pray for your church members. Pray yeah. for the people you worship with. Get each other's back. Get each other's yeah. back, right? No more flying solo. Yeah. Right? And then you need to pray for your pastors. Yeah. I mean, because Paul says, pray for me, that words may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly. Pray that for your pastors. But pray for us. Pray for our families. Pray for our well-being. Pray for our sanity. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I heard someone told me and it's kind of stuck with me is like uh if you want to see the devil look in the church yeah because you know that's where he's gonna attack you know outside the church is his territory or it's kind of like people are kind of under his spell but it's it's in the church where there's these rebels against his tyranny and so that's where he's gonna be mad he's gonna attack there and so yeah we need to pray please pray for your church please pray for anyone who has any spiritual role of authority, teaching, preaching. Yeah. Because, man, uh, well, we see it. You know, we see when, when uh, what usually destroys churches. Very often it's uh, when the leaders fall. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, please continue to pray for your pastors and yep. all of your church. Amen. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go put on some armor. Me too. Okay. <laughs> and God's peace to everyone. We'll see you next time. Yeah.